free dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks. This is Sean Zock, and this is the Drop Zone. I am joined, as always, by Dylan DeChair. He's the co-host. He's the co-captain. He's in Seattle. I'm in Chicago. And uh, the tournament this week was in Austin. We're going to talk about all that good stuff that happened at the match play um, and kind of try to understand if there are tea leaves we need to read, what, like 10 days before we go to the Masters at Augusta National. But, um, Dylan, this was like a week where there wasn't a ton of news. There was no live golf tournament. Um, The match play is kind of a weird tournament because – you know, it's kind of hard to tell who's in contention until suddenly it's like, oh, there's only four guys in contention and there's really only uh, two of them that advance to play in the afternoon to win. So um, I was trying to scan for topics on what to talk about. And I was thinking we could talk about very briefly Rory McIlroy's tee shot in his first match. You know, that one, he, the one he hit against Denny McCarthy. Uh, I think that was his first match, right? Um. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah. Could well, either way, second. it's his match against uh, Denny McCarthy. It's the 18th hole. And if you are a follower of this show, you probably follow Golf Twitter. And it's just a video that flew around Golf Twitter because everyone wanted to talk about this singular tee shot. And uh, I want to break it down because it annoyed me, Dylan. Oh, my God. This means you're in too deep. No, 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 no. I I was annoyed at the discourse more than anything. Basically, um, on Tuesday night, Rory McIlroy talked to the folks at No Laying Up and said that he was pro-rollback. He was in favor of the rollback Mm, of the golf ball. He was in favor of the ball not going quite as far as it currently does. He's in favor of his tee shots maybe going 305 yards instead of 325 yards. Why do you think Rory was in favor of the rollback? I think he's in favor of the rollback because I think he has sort of listened to the arguments being made and taken them at face value, I guess. He sees what's happening to golf courses. He would like to see pros tested with longer approach shots. Um I mean, I think he recognizes that he can overpower nearly every golf course that they play and that he's not hitting as many approach shots outside 150 yards as pros used to. Um, And I think he sees some sort of value in that. I don't know. He's kind of an old school romantic guy in that way. And I think he's, he's now been thinking enough about the future of golf that I think he sees this as sort of part of his like stewardship of the game is like preserving it in its current form for the next generation. I think, I mean, and maybe, maybe people are rolling their eyes at that and saying something else or thinking he has some ulterior motive, but yeah, that's as close as I can get. Yeah. I think uh, this, this is what crystallized for me is that anyone who is going to take Rory's stance uh, especially on the PGA Tour front, he's rare in that sense, um, is someone thinking about the long game, right? They're thinking about uh, 
where we can be 20 years from now. <laughs> uh, and uh, I know Mike Wan was talking about like, oh, what about Rory McIlroy's children, right? How far are they going to be hitting the golf ball? Which is a kind of weird thing to think about. But like Tiger Woods' child, uh, his son, Charlie, already hits the golf ball like a really, really long way. And what happens when you give him 10 more years of fitness gains and equipment gains? Like where is the ceiling? Um, and so Rory is just comfortable with there being a ceiling put in play. And I think that point needs to be um, discussed before we talk about his tee shot against Denny McCarthy because his tee shot was the most incredible shot that everyone reacted to this week. Um, I believe it was like a 320 carry maybe to the to the front edge of 349. the 349. Yeah. 349 to the front oh, edge. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so I was wrong about that. Either way um, – that is where we have land. That's a, that's a that's a golf shot that we weren't capable of seeing. What, twenty years ago? Like that just wasn't. It wasn't in the cards. Yeah, no, it didn't exist. And I think what, well, and maybe this is what you're getting to, but there's not that many other people on the planet that can hit that tee shot because Rory hits the ball um, higher. He launches it further. Like there are guys that can keep up with him around you know, some golf courses in terms of length, but no one launches it quite like Rory McIlroy. Yeah. He also hits a draw, right? Which is going to put top spin on the ball. The ball is just going to go a little bit further with that draw spin. Um, and I thought it was so funny because this was a week in which he kind of went out there on that Island and said, no, I'm a tour pro who hits a really long way. And that is not important to my future. <laughs> that is not the way in which I will become one of the greatest golfers of all time. It will certainly be part of it. My distance gains uh, and advantage that I have right now are still going to exist when we roll back the golf ball. I'm okay with it. And what was annoying to me is that the discourse suddenly became nobody's right and everyone's right at the same time. Because the fact that a really long player said, I'm okay losing the distance that I have right now, uh, came during a week in which he drove the green. And then like, basically it sent people saying, guys, do you not want this type of tee shot to happen? Do you not want a 350 yard tee shot to roll up to, you know, a tap in Eagle? That's one side of the discourse. The other side is, Hey, like it's, it's not on Rory to hit it. 350 yards if you want more if you want this type of tee shot move people up a tee and roll the ball back yeah. it'll cost us less to maintain this golf course and so it became no one's right and everyone's right at the same time everyone's shouting on you know social media people writing articles about it and um it like i we're not going to solve this whole rollback debate soon and this was like the first iteration of Rory's capable of so much. Denny McCarthy's literally un incapable of making that shot. And that's how Rory beat him, uh, or at least solidified his win. So it just kind of left me in a very annoyed place because it was like, we're not actually learning anything from this, and we're not having any uh, elevated discourse about it either. Well, I mean, I would like the discourse to first and foremost be like, holy shit, what an awesome shot. Because it's a fun hole. It's a kind of weird, quirky, like par three and a half, the way these guys play it, where you can uh, you can actually roll it up to the edge of the green if you get the right bounce off the down slope, which is, you know, 50 yards further back. 
Um, and you end up with guys either hitting it offline and having weird recovery shots or hitting it up into the throat and having, you know, basically a, a tricky up and down to various these pins or some guys, depending on the wind, laying back and then trying to hit a full wedge in and, you know, controlling the spin and trajectory from there. So what Rory did was just, you know, look, he's playing, to your point, the same hole as everyone else. He is, it's it's not on him to play the way the, uh, you know, hole was originally designed, the way the architect intended, whatever. Whatever stuff we used to say when Bryson was starting to do this and, you know, apologizing to Donald Ross when he was carrying it over bunkers at Detroit Golf Club. So I think first and foremost, we should just, admire the fact that Rory hit a shot that no one else can hit. I mean, that's what was so cool. Then the fact that he hit it just on a dead straight line with 188 mile per hour ball speed, which we've seen how hard that is to do, um, lands it on the perfect front edge. I mean, the image of him repairing his ball mark that he had created from 349 yards away, and then it rolls out to whatever, 376 yards. So I think that is first and foremost, the, the discourse that I would like is like, that yeah, was that awesome. I think right. it, no, I think it, I think that's most of what happened. I think that like anyone, you are noticing the sort of like, it's like the, yeah, the backlash and then the backlash to the backlash, which I think that cycle happens faster now than ever. And I think there's yeah. an inclination of people in the golf world to, um, you know, you can't just sort of appreciate something. You have to sort of fix it. You have to tinker with it. So yes, I don't think that this was proof of anything except that Rory is better at hitting this type of shot than everyone else is. I agree it's not proof that this is great because I mean what if if everyone suddenly hit it 30 yards shorter and Rory flew it 315 to the front edge when everyone else was laying it back to 40 yards short of the green, I don't think this would be less impressive or less cool. It's still a monumental distance. I think we forget about that. It's, it's what, 1,100 feet? That's how far he hit this drive? Like, if it's 1,000 feet instead, is that something that we're going to no longer appreciate? I don't think that... I don't think this is an argument that, oh, yes, we should never, ever roll the ball back or limit its flight. Yeah, I, I guess... I was just really bothered that like this was a week where we could have had a lot of progress on that topic. I really think so. Like Rory coming out and saying on Tuesday night, yeah, I'm in favor of a rollback. This whole thing that all these pros are upset about and a lot of amateurs are maybe okay with and then a lot of people are stuck in the middle like what should I think? Should I be pro bifurcation or not? Yeah. This was a week in which Rory took a stand. He's been taking stands all for the last two years and um, it was really followed by a moment where we could have understood the nuances better. And I don't think we, I don't think we walked understanding <laughs> the nuances yeah. any better. No, I think that that's right because yeah, I think if anything, this was a reminder that I guess, regardless, Rory is going to hit it further than everyone else. That's probably, that's my main takeaway. And yes, it was an awesome moment and I think it could exist no matter how far the ball goes. Yeah. Uh, my next topic, Dylan, for you is, well, I feel bad. We haven't talked about the actual result of the yes. match play, but we, but we almost had, we almost had something real special. What a weird turn we, this morning took. I mean, I think we had something special. We had four of the top 15 players in the world playing 
or maybe top 16, I guess. Justin Thomas was, uh, he bowed out. So I think, I think Cam Young was ranked 16th going during the week. Either way, four of the best players in the world. And um, for a good second there, it looked like Rory and Scotty were going to end up playing in the championship yes. match um, in a matter of like a half an hour maybe even less than that, maybe even like 10 to 15 minutes, it flipped to you guys are playing <laughs> together in the consolation uh, third place match, which was fine. Um, Sam Burns wins. Sam Burns wins the championship match six and five. He played about 130 holes of golf um, or maybe less than that, but 120 holes of golf. Um, it, it's a weird week to react to because sometimes it means a lot to win a bunch of matches. Sometimes it means absolutely nothing. Um, Cam Young was playing great golf from the beginning of the week all the way to the end, dethroned Rory. It was good for his confidence, he said. Another reason or reminder that he can play golf with the best players in the world. Um, Does this kind of change what you think about Sam Burns, though, or is this kind of something that Sam Burns is going to do every 18 months? Oh, yeah. It definitely changes the way I think about him. I think... It began at the Valspar last week where I guess he found the magic that he always finds at the Valspar, but his iron play was so bad this year entering this week, and he'd shown flashes. like He'd played a, a few good rounds here and there, obviously played well in Tampa last week, uh, had a round or two that was good at the players, but really was struggling and you know needed something to cement himself as top player in the world still as a U.S. Ryder Cup or as all these things that we've assumed that Sam Burns would be. And the way that he plowed through round by round, I think does change that in my mind. I mean, I understand your point. Like match play, you have a hard time taking the same things away from it as you do in stroke play. But this year, it actually felt less fluky. It felt like the guys that played the best really did advance. The very top pros in the world uh, with the exception of John Rahm, the top, the other top five guys went undefeated in round robin play, so that felt significant. I mean, Cam Young maybe played the best golf of anyone over the course of the week was just dominant, and uh, you know he made it to the final. So like it felt, it felt more significant and more well deserved this week, I guess. And so. I mean, it's an achievement for Sam Burns that he won. I think it's massive. I mean, his his paycheck will reflect that. Um, but I think that there's a lot to take away from the fact that he made it as far as he did. I don't know if it makes him a better golfer that he won versus finishing third or something. But it, no, it doesn't. certainly the well, no, but it does. I mean, it's it's very significant that he had a lead over Scotty Scheffler, his best pal on tour, and you know the number one golfer in the world. He had a big lead. He blew that lead. He went two down, and then he fought back and stuffed it to three inches on number 17 uh, with a, a wedge in his hand. I think that that was significant. And then, you know, again, gave up the lead and again beat him in extra holes. Like, the Sam Burns hit some, some big-time golf shots this week in a high-pressure setting. So I, I take away quite a bit from that. Um, and I also generally take away the fact that all of these guys are playing well. Yeah, well, uh, I know that the golf was really good on, what, Saturday afternoon. Uh, felt like everyone was balling out. Um, I just think that, look, Sam Burns was like a five or six foot putt from Scotty Scheffler, probably going in most times, uh, more times than not, from just being in the third place match and maybe losing to Rory and 
then we don't even talk about Sam Burns on this podcast. So uh, it is a weird thing where, yeah, it's almost like you get, you know, it's, it's, it's take the NCAA tournament, I guess. Memphis could have beaten Florida Atlantic in the first round. Like if they take care of the ball at the end of the game, I can't remember exactly how it went down, but the eight seed takes over the nine seed there. And instead FAU beats Memphis basically at the buzzer in the first round. And then everything that happens after that, their run to the final four, we make judgments about that team. Memphis, that's it. That's all we hear from them. So it's funny because we evaluate less about John Rahm's golf game this week, maybe because he just tapped out or, uh, less about someone that went out in the round of 16, um, like Max Homa lost to Mackenzie Hughes, three and two. And, you know, it seems like it was a generally a good week for Max Homa went three and oh in pool play, nothing more to it. Um, but yeah, there's obviously then more attention paid to these final four guys, especially like Scotty Scheffler loses his final two matches and finishes fourth. It's one of the oddnesses of this format and of the consolation round, uh, you know, why we're playing for third over fourth. Well, look, I mean, I'm a big podium guy, so I do approve of that. But but yeah, it's it's funny the way we evaluate guys because everyone has a different sample size this week. These four guys played every round. Everyone else played a slightly different amount of meaningful golf. Yeah. FAU uh, won because Memphis absolutely choked. Handling the ball towards the end. Also, Miami won because Drake choked. Two of the final four teams are in the are still in the tournament because of absolute choke jobs. And I'm freaking bitter because you know, <laughs> we've got money we've got money attached to these sort of things, as we always do. Um, Dylan, why is the match play going away? Why is it not gonna be played next year? Uh, I think the simplest reason the match play is going away is because of what you saw this afternoon, which is there were two matches on the course in prime time in the viewing window. And one of them was a blowout. That would be Sam Burns over Cameron Young. And the other one, which is an incredibly uh, anticipated matchup between Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy was for third place. And we don't, we don't really have a way to contextualize third place in the PGA tour world. Like it just is what it is. It's slightly better than fourth place. And it's really interesting to watch these guys go head to head. But in terms of selling tickets, selling hospitality, like you're going to come out to watch post up on a hole and you're going to see two matches go through. It just doesn't Mm -hmm. make a ton of sense. And that stinks because the stuff leading up to it is so good. Like I was glued to my ESPN plus early in the week, watching the round Robin format. It's compelling to see who's going to come out Friday. There's all this weirdness with the pool play and different mathematical scenarios of guys winning in different matches. And, and I know some people prefer the straight knockout format. I personally like the way they they've been doing it better because it feels like even if you tie or lose a match early on, then yeah, there's still some chance if you win your other two, you can get through. So I think that the setup is great. I think waking up Saturday morning and you've got eight matches going on is so good. And then Saturday afternoon, it's still really good. You've got four matches going on. My fix, Sean, would be, uh, well, you didn't even ask me, but that's that's why I think it's going away first and foremost is because the it's anticlimactic. The tournament peaks on Saturday morning. 
And we are used to PGA Tour events peaking on Sunday afternoon, and a lot of the infrastructure is built around that. So I think from a business sense, it just doesn't make quite as much sense as the alternative, which is the tried and true 72-hole stroke play tournament. Give me double elimination, maybe. Or give me the guys who don't advance through Saturday playing ahead of the matches on Sunday and just, you know, in a sprint for some some cash. Like, okay, you didn't... Yeah, I think there's something like that. My fix would be to move the move everything up a day. And then we're just saying, you know what? Monday is the day we crown a champion. Everyone's at work. Maybe there aren't that many people, but who cares? We're moving the best day, which is Saturday to Sunday. There's your premiere showdown. Now everyone gets uh, work streaming golf on on uh, Monday for the final four and the finals. And I don't know. I mean, I, there has to be a better solution than that, but clearly they haven't come up with no a one's perfect come one up with because, no because one's come that's up why with it one. doesn't exist. Yeah. And so I think when people are uh, watching from home and are so excited about Rory playing Scotty or the potential of Rory playing Scotty, um, just remember that this is just not – it's not about those matchups. It's about – the people tuning in to watch the golf and the eyeballs and all that jazz. It kind of sucks sometimes when decisions get made that are so exclusively for television rights and viewership numbers. Um, that's definitely tough. You kind of want to believe in the merits of the sport kind of um, being, you know, first priority above everything else, but it's just not. And um, I don't know if it was, a, you know, I can't remember if it was like a Dell disinterest or what, Um there's been some mixed but, messaging about who made the decision, but pretty clearly wasn't going to work, and that became clear ahead of this year's So event. what are they going to do next year? Is there not going to be a tournament this week? There's, there will be some sort of tournament this week, but it's going to be interesting how the events shuffle around. Um, but it's too bad because this course in particular seems perfectly suited for match play. There's so many half par type holes where yeah you can get it down around the green on a par five and two or you can get it in the area of a par four with your tee shot and the push and pull between like laying it in a good position to have a good look at birdie and guarantee par versus going for a riskier shot like taking on the water and getting a look at eagle but also risking you know hitting it in the penalty area like there's a lot of that which is cool there's quirky bounces there's more weird stuff that happens this week than maybe any other week on tour of like guys just getting aggressive launching it over grandstands like into bleachers taking really weird drops it seems like if you get too far offline there's just weird scruffy areas that always require some sort of weird shots or drops Um, there's a lot to like about this event and Yeah, it really does feel like it's for business reasons that, you know, it's not like building to the final of a grand slam of tennis where everyone can just surround one court. It's like because golf exists where you're cramming a lot of people in a big space and then golfers are coming through, like that flow just doesn't happen in the same way. You know how people have long called for a like PJ Tour skills competition an all-star weekend something of that sort yeah you know this is this is the type of event that could still 
be a WGC-esque thing where you have 64 players. It's going to be the most limited field of all the limited fields. Um, in order to kind of keep things interesting, keep people around for the weekend, you could you could do a true single elimination type of thing. And then anyone who gets knocked out, you're around on Saturday and Sunday. We're doing skills competition. You can make <laughs> some money that way. Um, that would be something that like, okay, Hey, there's two like mega money matches that are being played out on Sunday afternoon. That's where the, the winners are going to be crowned from. But instead of going to commercial break constantly, instead of getting bored on the, the, you know, the, the tee shots on 14 and 15, um, we're going to show you highlights from the all-star game, <laughs> the, the skills challenge. Uh, and they're going to be doing a closest to, uh, competition on the third hole from 350 yards who can get the closest to it i would tune in for that winner takes a million dollars i know sometimes people in trying to to fix things or keep things around are just going to start throwing wacky shit against the wall maybe that's what this is but it feels like a time in the calendar where you could do some wacky shit um and get away with it yeah maybe People want to care about golf right now. Like that. Like what I'm worried about, Dylan, is next year. Um, Phoenix not going to be elevated. It doesn't sound like. No. Nope. Then we go to L.A. elevated event. Then we go to Honda not elevated. Then we go to Bay Hill elevated players elevated. Valspar will not be. What fills in the the cracks after that? Um, because you're talking maybe three non-elevated events before the masters. Like the whole run up of this thing was really getting you going for the masters. If you kind of, you kind of lay back and chill a little bit. Um, well, yeah, you just be, touched on something. You touched on something really interesting, which is the fact that this was a very effective, like last look for a lot of guys before Augusta. And it was an awkward one in some ways that guys are playing a lot of match play golf. The only time they play it this year in their final, well, except for the Ryder cup in their final tune up before the masters, which is as many people will know, not match play. Um, so that was always a little bit of an odd fit. The other thing that is significant for next year is that they have said they will not do single, like they will not do solo designated events. They're going to only clump them. So they'll at least be, back to back and what that indicates to me is that we are going to see um, either the players will be the last designated event before the masters I mean I think that is most likely what it shows to me and maybe there are only two events instead of three events between the players and the masters so maybe there's some shuffling in that way but there will not be an individual designated event just jammed in this spot two weeks before the masters i also don't think they're going to jam in a designated event the week before a major although i could be wrong i mean what they've done so far is put them the week after a major uh we're seeing that with a really well a pretty convenient if anticlimactic one with augusta to rbc um, at harbortown and then a really geographically strange one with the u.s open in la followed by the travelers in Connecticut. Um, so I think it's a great question to ask what happens in this spot. I think it's worth, um, it's worth being sad. It's worth being first appreciative of the stuff we saw this week. I mean, Matt Kuchar 
showed a lot of stuff for some reason, just loves it at Austin Country Club. Uh, gets to show off his his short game. He hits a bunch of pretty sweet wedge shots and and up up and downs around the green. And he played Jason Day, and I think they're number one and two in scrambling on the PGA Tour right now. Jason Day looks fully resurgent. Uh, ran into a bout of vertigo, which really sucks. I don't know. I don't know enough about vertigo to know, like if there's any way to predict it flaring up, what leads to that, etc. But he certainly, when he's playing well right now, looks like a top 10 player in the world, at least. Um, it was just fun also to see the top guys like establish themselves. Um, Rory, Scotty, Cantlay, Xander, Homa, all went 3-0 and in pool play. Like That stuff is all awesome. That's worth appreciating. And then I think it's worth kind of mourning that this um, is just not going to happen in this format going forward. All right, let's uh, let's wrap up with some buy or sell. All right, um, you kind of already spoke to one, but first on the list, Jason Day. He has been hot this year. He has yeah. been finishing in the top twenty a bunch. He's not truly contended in my eyes. Like, has he been there with five holes to play? And you're like, holy cow, Jason Day is going to get it done. No, but are you buying or selling his performances leading to something greater or might he be uh, undone again by some sort of injury and or vertigo? Jeez, like that's a good question. Like, is this as good as it gets? Because it has been really good. I mean, he's finished in the top 20 in his last seven starts. Pretty crazy. Um, I'm still I'm still buying like his stock price has gone way up. He's moved up to number 33 in the world after this week. And, you know, at the end of last year, I think he finished the year outside the top 100. So, like, his his stock price, if we were playing the stock exchange like we did last year, uh, he'd be a lot more expensive. But, yeah, I think that there's there's a victory in here somewhere for Jason Day. He still keeps talking about this world number one thing. So, he's still got his eyes on the prize. So, yeah, I think there's still upside. What about you? Uh, I'm buying only because I talked to his coach, uh, Chris Como. <laughs> Quickly and won over. Yeah, well, you know, Coach Zaro is going to be very optimistic, but he was just telling me how Jason's able to practice a lot right now. Two years ago, he wasn't able to practice. Body wasn't there. If you can't practice, you can't get good, essentially what Como was telling me. And his body feels very good right now, so he can practice a bunch. And sometimes players are stupid talented. That's what they need to do is grind their way into form. So I think that's kind of what he's done. Um, and I think he's like sound of mind. Like I don't think he would – if he was suddenly in the final group at Augusta, I don't think he freaks out. He's been there before. Um, let's talk about Rory. Mm. Rory said after the consolation victory he had today, that he might go to Augusta again this week. He went to Augusta last week, played 54 holes. Apparently, he lit it up with his putter, which is not something I give a damn about. But after playing 54 holes this week, says, yeah, you know, it couldn't hurt to go back and play more at Augusta. I might go up for one day this coming week. Are you buying or selling that as a good idea that Rory's playing just a ton of golf at Augusta? Or... Might he be playing a little too much? We've mm. seen this guy think a little bit too much about this tournament in the past. I am buying because it beats the alternative approach, which Rory tried for I'm a couple sure of years. About that. Go ahead. I'm not the sure. The alternative about that, approach was downplaying, pretending that these things weren't significant. 
And there is no question that this is a massive, massive deal for Rory. Like, we all know it. Uh, it's going to be the biggest story that week. Not only is Rory chasing the end of his major uh, drought, not only is he taking the PGA Tour helm, like, as tour and live players reconvene at Augusta National, he's also playing the best golf he has in the lead up to the masters in a little while. I mean, last year he finished second, his best ever four round result at Augusta. Like there's a lot of reasons that all eyes will be on Rory. And I think leaning into that and not denying that is probably a good idea because we've seen that the way Rory plays best is when expectations are high and when he just kind of owns up to it. I don't think that's true for everyone, but I think Rory actually does like the spotlight. So if he's if he's showing up with the intention to perform, I think that's his best chance. Yeah, I don't know. There might be some recency bias. You there. selling? I'm selling the idea. I don't know if Rory like totally completely lives up to the moment. Like I think we've we've got too much evidence recently. Uh, well, not recently. Over the last t- decade, where like when the pressure has been most on him, he's started to. It's kind of started to fade, most in particular at Augusta National. Like, look, mm. he's won a bunch in the PGA Tour. He's won from the final group. He's chased people down. Um, yeah. But, they're, like, this course, this tournament is just a little bugaboo. It just is. And I hope it's not. I would love to see him win. It would be fantastic to see him win. But it just kind of is. And I think, yeah, you can maybe work your way out of any weirdness by just visiting this place a lot, kind of making it your backyard. He played there a bunch last week. And going there this week, I'm sure he'll maybe even learn something again or relearn something. But what is he going to do on Tuesday of next week, or of Masters week, right? He's going to have probably played Sunday night before the Masters. And then he'll have played yeah. Monday of the Masters. And then he'll probably have played Tuesday after his press conference of the Masters. And then on Wednesday... Is he going to play nine holes and the par three? He's going to be just waiting, waiting, waiting for that first tee shot on Thursday. They're going to give him a 125 tee time in the afternoon. He'll have watched golf that morning. And, you know, there's a, there's a tendency to pull hook your tee shot into the trees on one (laughs) and make double. And, um, and then you're off to a bad start. So I, I don't know. I, I think you can you can very easily go. Yeah, both look, ways with I mean, I think you're onto something. I don't want to come off as like apologizing for Rory's major championship performances, and maybe that's how that first answer came because I don't think that that's. Uh, I think it's very fair to be critical of Rory, um, and the way he has showed up in some of these big moments. But I guess what I am seeing in this approach is like maybe there is an ability to say, "All right, this place, I I know this place." <laughs> I'm coming in like he needs to come in with whatever that free swinging uh, cockiest possible attitude is. And if this helps him do that, if this helps him circle this on the calendar and say, look, this is the one I'm paying attention to. I'm the man. That seems like the best approach for him. Are you buying or it's a buyer? It's a buy, but it's a TBD. It's like I appreciate the approach. Now we'll see if it pays off. So this is just a complete plausibility thing, but. Would you buy or sell the idea that there will be a match play tournament on the PJ Tour schedule in 2025? So not Ooh. next year, but the year after that. We will have given ourselves like hmm. 18 months to figure out if we can do this sort of thing. Are you buying or selling that idea? I'd love to buy it. I would, Sean. I would love to buy it, but I don't 
I don't see why that would beat out the tried and true. So I'm selling. I'm selling this idea because uh, for all the progress we've made on the PGA Tours scheduling woes in the last, what is it, eight months, I am more optimistic about following the sponsor money than I am about following an entertaining TV product, especially when that TV product peaks earlier in the week. So I think this is still a follow the money situation. The money is not, from what I understand, in match play. Sell. All right. I will agree with you there uh, begrudgingly. and A lot of agreement. Fin- yeah. My final buy or sell is that uh, Ben Crenshaw said he anticipates the champion's dinner on Tuesday night of the Masters being awkward. And that's something everyone's talking about. And I don't really see a scenario in which it's not going to be a little bit awkward. But uh, the buy or sell is, do you think it will be awkward the entire night? Do you anticipate this being a thing that people admit to being awkward? Or um, will on Wednesday we just kind of hear a bunch of, oh, you know, it was a good time. It was typical dinner. It was Scotty's dinner. Buy or sell the idea that it will be very awkward. I I think that there's something we haven't yet addressed about this, the potential awkwardness of the Masters Champions Dinner. Isn't this thing always probably kind of awkward? These guys don't know each other. They see each other once a year. They've all got these funny green jackets on. You know, you got got some aging green jacket winners coming out to eat, you know, cuisine they may not be familiar with. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. There's probably always some awkwardness to it. Uh, I think... I am I'm buying the idea that there is some awkwardness here. I think and I think good. There should be. If if we're just ignoring all of this, ignoring everything that's happened that's been said, I don't know. That's just living in some weird alternate reality. I'm sure that guys will make nice and I don't think that there'll be, you know, fist fights in the dining room. Um but I think it's okay to acknowledge the reality of the current position in the sport, which is that some guys are breaking away from the PGA tour and trying to take as much of the tour with them as possible. <laughs> and that, and also involved in litigation against the PGA tour. And I think that, I think it's okay to acknowledge that those people may not see eye to eye with the guys that are on the other side. I think that's, I don't just think it's going to be awkward. You don't think it's going to be awkward at all. Phil Mickelson has been making nice. He's been playing nice lately. I think he's going to try to continue that. He's going to have four major championships to compete in this year, and I think he is going to want to not be a distraction. I do not think Tiger and Phil will exchange a word at the Masters Champions Dinner. uh, I don't know if they need to. (laughs) (laughs) I think think Phil, um, I could just see him almost grabbing the mic. And being like, Fred, thank you for uh, just reading the, the, the pulse of, uh, you know, reading the temperature of pro golf and for still inviting us to come back here. I know times are kind of intense um, and I just, you know, out of respect of this tournament, I want us to have a good time tonight like we've had so many times before. Thank you, Scotty, for this wonderful meal that you've 
prepared for us <laughs> or you've you've had caterers prepare for us <laughs> and, you should get back there yeah you want the, the chef nickname flip a couple burgers yeah, yeah. cook some sliders um, yeah i just i could see i could see phil doing that because that's what he's doing right now on twitter right yeah he's he's really not trying to be the villain anymore God, he is um, although i mean i went on about this last week and then i was like checking some of his replies and he still he cannot resist so he's actually been mixing it up a little bit more than I had initially thought. So, uh, yeah, I think I think there's merit to your idea. I'm curious if we'll end up knowing if we will get the inside scoop on how it all goes down. Probably not. Probably not. Probably we'll just get bits and pieces. But for the most, well, you know who? I mean, Gary Player. He he may share his view of the action on what Thursday morning after ceremonial tee shots. That's a great point. That's our best chance. The we're going to save that for our, our master's preview podcast, but let's, let's take a look at the, uh, the press conference, like schedule. We'll, we'll power, we'll do a power rankings of which pressures, which pressers will be the most revealing. I think Gary player is probably going to be at top of the list. Tom Watson. We're going to have to ask Tommy about his new golf course. He's building across town. That's true. Um, we'll get to that. All right. We'll get well, to that. Sean. That's, that's about 40 minutes worth of podcasting from you and me. And um, that's what happens during kind of a slow week. Maybe that's why the match play is gone because it's not giving us enough right now to talk about limited field podcast, Sean, you can only, you can only pack in so many minutes to this sort of broadcast window. Appreciate everyone listening. Dylan, Justin Thomas dropped out of the top 10 for the first time since his 2017 PGA championship. Wow. Yeah, five and a half years of being a top 10 player. Jeez, buying or selling? Stock is I'm lower buying, than it's ever been. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely buying. Definitely buying JT. He just has to figure out how to putt. All right. Justin, I know you're listening. Maybe you got us in your ears on the putting green, but, you know, straight back, straight through, pal. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Oh, good. Straight back, straight through.